Lord Jesus, as you are lifted up, that we might look to you and be saved. Amen. This is a day that changes everything, which is why we call it good. But in the midst of it, as we get caught up in the drama of it, it seems very, very bad. Why should something so tragic as this have to happen? I remember 10 years ago when the movie The Passion of the Christ first came out. And in watching it, there was a part of me hoping that things turned out differently. Hoping that Jesus would call down a legion of angels to smite those who crucified him and to carry him away to safety. But it was not to be, as far too much was at stake. So much that we weren't able to see, and many of us still don't see. We began our Lenten journey with David's plea for mercy from God in the aftermath of his affair with Bathsheba. In Psalm 51, he cries out, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. On Good Friday, many, many years later, David's prayer is answered. Many of us at the beginning of Lent took on some sort of discipline. We either tried to add something to our lives uh, that we feel like might contribute the good, or you might have tried to take something out of your life in order to show your self-sacrifice and dedication for the Lord. And uh, those of you who have been part of the Lenten preaching series know that uh, we don't make that very easy on you here at Lent. Uh, the way that we do Lent is being cherry salad and desserts and chicken salad and the like. But it's a reminder to me that one of the worst things that could happen to me during Lent is that I actually succeed in conquering that which I've given up. I remember one Lent, I decided that I was going to give up sweets, and it became known far and wide in my family that I had tremendous willpower. So much so that upon a family occasion, we were there, and somebody had brought in an entire box of Krispy Kreme donuts, hot and ready now. And I said, not for me, thanks. Not for me. It was the morning of Good Friday. And that night, when everyone went to bed, <laughs> I snuck downstairs into the kitchen. I took two Krispy Kreme donuts went into the freezer, procured a scoop of vanilla ice cream, sandwiched it in the donuts, and before I even shut the freezer door as I was closing it, I shut it, and there stood Grandma Dot. <laughs> so much for willpower. I, I couldn't make it. I couldn't do it. And something as small as simply avoiding sweets, I couldn't in my own power 
avoid it. Something so trivial, something so simple, but it pointed toward my real problem, my own condition that I screamed out like St. Paul, who will rescue me from this body of death? Why am I the way that I am? Who will blot out my transgressions? Who will make them go away as if they're not even there? Because we know in any relationship that we have that they are often defined by things that we have either done to somebody or something that somebody has done to us. In the eighth grade, sixth period French with Mrs. Rogers, uh, I was horsing around in the back of the room And as my friend Rebecca was about to sit down, I pulled the chair out from underneath of her, and she fell. And I would find out a couple days later that she had broken her tailbone. I was whisked away quickly to the principal's office where I sat and received my right and due judgment. Rebecca and I were very, very close, best of friends, in fact. But for three years... Following that accident, we hadn't said a word to one another. I grew up in a very small town, went to a very small high school, and I did everything that I could to avoid her because every time I looked at her, I remembered the look on her face when I broke her tailbone. She said nothing to me until 11th grade English. I was, per the custom in my academic career was sat in the front of the classroom. And in the seat behind me, Rebecca was seated. It it would have been better, I think, had I sat behind her, but there she was to look at me for the entire academic year uh, in the pain and the sense and total lack of comfort that that created nearly uh, undid me. Well, as time went on, we began to talk a little bit, but every time I interacted with her, all I could think of was that incident. And our relationship became defined by that incident. And finally, one day, she spoke up and she said, Andrew, you need to know that I forgive you. And that meant the world to me. It was tremendous. And yet, even knowing that she forgave me, I still couldn't get out of my mind that incident. She might have forgiven me, but the transgression had not been blotted out. It was the elephant in the room. There was nothing that I could do, no matter how hard I tried to get that image out of my mind. And even no matter what she said, there was the transgression. The elephant was still in the room. Many of us in our own lives have incidents like that. This one honestly, is a little bit trivial compared to what most of us have been through in life, where there has been some incident where you've done something to somebody or something has been done to you that may be so significant and so severe that it defines who you are as a human being. And when you are left in your own thoughts, just at random times, this thought comes pouring back into your mind. And no matter how hard you try to get away from it, it's always there. Do you know what Jesus does for us on this day? 
He blots out our transgressions. Whatever abuse you may have undergone or given, whatever the estrangement, whatever the damage, whatever the incident, the pain, the suffering, all of the injustice, evil, and brokenness in the world, Jesus swallows up upon the cross. It may have been something you have done. It may have been something done to you, whatever it is. It is a result of this fallen and broken world. And Jesus takes it all into his arms and destroys it. There is no elephant in the room anymore. Jesus, with wide open arms upon the cross, takes it all upon himself Upon him were our iniquities laid. Whatever it is that plagues your life, the brokenness that causes your heart to drop into your stomach, think of that burden, what it is for you, in the loneliness of your thoughts that comes to mind, how it crushes you, how it has defined you, how it has caused you to compartmentalize your life. And now think upon how that makes you feel, how it undoes you. But now think that every single one of those moments, including our own sinfulness, and the effects of the sin of the world, of every person that has ever walked the face of the earth, that will walk the face of the earth. Every single one of those moments has been laid upon Jesus. And it has crushed him. It is no small wonder that he cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me. It may be that that moment in your life has caused such angst that you don't feel that you can have any sort of relationship with God. That as you try to relate to Him, that elephant is still in the room. You try to tell yourself, God, I know that you have forgiven me, but I still can't help but feel it and hear it. Becky Pippert, in her book, Hope Has Its Reasons, writes of an event that she did one evening where she spoke to a group of church workers. And as is often happens, at the end of her talk, there was a woman lingering in the back waiting to speak to her. And as she made her way, the woman came up to her and said, Mrs. Pippert, I, I know that you tell us that Jesus has died to forgive me, but he couldn't possibly forgive me for what I have done. And Becky Pipper says, oh, what was it? She said, well, I was a youth minister at my church, and, and I was dating another youth minister there at this large congregation, and we began this relationship, and uh, one day I found myself pregnant. And for fear of judgment, I couldn't bring myself to tell the children or the church or, or anybody of this awful secret. And so what I did is we quickly became engaged and were married in what should have been the greatest day of my life was overshadowed by the fact that I decided to abort the baby. 
And as I walked down the aisle on my wedding day, which should have been glorious, and all these faces beaming with smiles toward me, all I could hear in my mind were the words, murderer, murderer, murderer. God couldn't possibly love me for doing such a thing as that. Pippert, filled only with the Holy Spirit to say something as this, said, But you know that you've done far worse. It was for your sin that Jesus died. It was for that that Jesus died. And no matter what dastardly thing, no matter how awful you think that it might be, he has removed it. As far as the east is from the west, he has blotted it out that God has made a way where there seemed to be no way. That because of his death on the cross, he can now look at you with pure, unaffected love and see you as beloved, even though you think that you're not. In the Passion narrative in Mark's gospel, they taunt Jesus on the cross saying he saved others. He cannot save himself. The wonderful irony that Jesus Christ poured himself out and let himself go in order that we might live. He allowed himself to be damned in order that we might be liberated, died in order that we might live. Whatever elephant in the room that you are dealing with in your life, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It is gone. It is removed. Your transgressions are blotted out. Turn to Him and be plunged beneath the flood. The cleansing flood of the blood of the Lamb. Be washed and be made white as snow. And know it is finished. <laughs>